What's up, everybody? I am Steve Bazlone, and you are listening to Terribly Funny, another podcast, hooray, where, uh, but this one's different, because this one is one where funny people talk about uh, truly terrible things that have happened in their lives. Uh, It's a good time. It's where you get to see comics and writers and directors and actors and, you know, people who are just kind of funny, or at least tickle me. Um, uh, talk about things that are awful and how they've made them a little bit better, maybe, or a little bit funnier. I don't know. Who knows? It's it's all an experiment. We're seeing what happens. Uh, but today's guest is one of uh, my very old friends. Um, I went to school with her. She's uh, she's a great comic. Uh, her name is Sarah Benincasa. Um, she has she's also a writer. She's like she's got her fourth book coming out. It's called DC Trip, and uh, she has a bunch of other books. Her first one, Agora Fabulous. Uh, which we'll be talking about a lot here, um, is about her 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 uh, downward spiral into agoraphobia. So it's fun. It's also it's frustrating that she has four books. But um, let's get to it, shall we? Let's talk to her and see what she has to say about awful things. You're familiar with the pod world. Yeah. How's yours going? doing my podcast much because I've been too busy You've been writing. too busy moving and shaking. Moving and shaking. Writing hit books. Still trying. It happens. I've been trying. Um, so, the basic idea of this thing is to... I started it because I obviously have a lot of tumult in my past. Mm-hmm. and But it's none of it... I don't, I don't see a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it was terrible at the time. But it was never really... It, looking back on it it's easy to like look back and like see at least for me like see like oh like I look back fondly at the hospital mm-hmm. sometimes even though it was terrible there's like moments like oh that was like really lovely and beautiful and funny uh, while there's also this over uh, this umbrella of shit well that's <laughs> how like, we deal with stuff right I mean we yeah. we tell our stories back to ourselves as many times as we need to to get the result that we want yeah to feel at peace with what happened some, I've, I've read something recently that kind of a little bit uh, kind of wrinkled my brain a bit that every time you're remembering something, in fact, you're not remembering the actual event, you're remembering the last time that you thought of it. Oh, that's great. So that's how like memories get distorted over time because it's like you're playing telephone, your brain's playing telephone with itself. In the same way that if yeah. you look at a picture, like oftentimes like that kind of usurps your memory because you just remember this one image because that's easy to recall because it's tangible whereas other thing is like this intangible thing even though like it was very real in your mind and you can smell something to take you back there but you oftentimes just think of this one image I have a busy brain as many of us do I also have a brain that through nature or nurture learned or just inherently does this uh, that forgets a lot of stuff. I sure. mush a lot of things together in my brain. There's a fog, even over pleasant memories. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to think it was because I wrote everything down. I kept diaries for many, many years. That's and so a good I thought maybe I just, I was saving myself the, the, the burden of remembering by writing it down. But I think usually doesn't that doesn't that help you it actually helps galvanize the memory. One would right? think. And now I I hear things friends tell me stories and I'm mm-hmm. like that happened. Mm. Perfectly delightful experiences. Nothing, you know, not necessarily that traumatic. You need to block things. out, or you are too boozy or whatever to remember. Or I just don't have the room. Yeah. I just I don't oh, know yeah. what well, it if is. Any, if anybody knows if anybody knows anything about Sarah Benincasa, it's tiny brain. Yeah, tiny brain. Smart, smart as a whip. It can only hold it so much. Look. 
it's how I would develop. Yeah. You know, in yeah. my mother's womba, as yeah. I like to call it. Oh, see, no, it's pronounced womb, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, see, yeah. That's, one, see? that's something I missed. But yeah. smart, I could see it spelled in my head. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'm really cool. That's very good. So tell me about a uh, time that was awful, but uh, resulted in something that was, uh, there was some levity and somehow yeah. got you to a humorous place. So I owe most of my career such as it is today as a writer and raconteur <laughs> to your looks to my looks yep. and also to wanting to kill myself when i was 21 i've wanted to kill myself at other times since sure. then but sure. that was like the first time and you never forget your first <laughs> and so to uh, i became i was really deeply agoraphobic that's what my first book agora fabulous is about mm-hmm. and um, a little plug little plug no there you can get it on the online i'm sort of putting my hand over my mouth you yeah it's always a weird thing can't see it because it's a podcast but yeah. i'm being adorable I, I forget sometimes when i'm doing this oh like oh yes i have to explain more because <laughs> you can't see what i'm gesturing <laughs> right right um well so i you know i was at emerson college with you yeah and old friends old friends dear old friends dear old buddies and i had gotten i had gotten progressively worse with panic disorder over the course of several years starting when i was a kid and it was worse and worse and worse, and it wasn't being treated properly. I, I didn't have the right meds. And so um, I went into this space where I just finally had this nervous breakdown, and I was um, staying inside my room. I wasn't going to class. Yeah, I remember this as an outsider being like, initially it was like, oh, Sarah's just like, she likes to like, she likes small intimate gatherings, like <laughs> mostly in her dorm. Yeah. She just likes that. That's how she likes to hang. That's why she's not going to the parties or really anywhere, just because she's like she's got this nice little womb or womba yeah. in her uh, in her uh, little bit little building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to stay uh, inside, and it, so it got the way that agoraphobia generally works is that it starts with a traumatic event occurring, and that traumatic event can be a panic attack. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be an actual external traumatic event um happening in a place that you consider a safe space like being out at a grocery store and you have a panic attack at the star market let's right. say in oh Boston, sure yeah star, star market. market and so then you say okay i had this panic attack here uh that means i can't go to the star market anymore because sure. it, i felt sick there i would say i felt sick I it's felt like sick a pavlovian there. thing yeah yeah so yeah. you don't go there so maybe you go to a different you maybe you go to bread and circus r.i.p oh man we are in boston where all the jessica here. worked yeah. and denise worked too these are friends of ours those are our friends they're FYI. delightful <laughs> they're great and it's now i believe a whole foods mm-hmm. but anyway so um so you start going big, there instead big whole food damn it so you start going there instead and then it happens there too because of course it's not it's not uh, Panic attacks don't happen because of what's in your environment. They happen because of what's in you. And you may perceive outside triggers, but there's no way I could give you a panic attack. I could know all your triggers in the world, and I can't give you one. I can't pass it to you. It's not contagious. Right. Well, isn't that... I mean, but that makes sense why you would want to to avoid the places that brought this on. Because it's so much easier on a conscious level to look for fault in the external world Absolutely. because they like think that something inside you is making bringing you so just dis, such discomfort is like too big of an idea it's huge and i think especially when you know i, I was going to say especially when you're young but uh, i think maybe it's even worse when you're older and you've gone right. your whole life having them i don't know but um yeah you don't want to think of yourself as a flawed person as a broken person as a right. fractured person and i know that 
you know very intimately the difficulty, the depression, the struggle that comes with dealing with physical ailments. Sure, it's not great. It's No, it sucks. And people with emotional, mental ailments also suffer. But I think because we can't necessarily say, here's what's happening. This is what's going on in my body. And have people go, ooh, mm-hmm. oh my God, that sounds so awful. Oh my God. We, we, we don't culturally have a language for it. And I think that it's very difficult to explain. We don't have, culturally, we don't have a language for it. But also when you're younger, you're just not exposed to that right. shit. Like I think you get to a certain age and like you just get beat down and you've experienced, you just have a more wealth, a breadth of experience. Yeah. Um, but when you're younger and you hear that somebody has like some sort of... Um, mental illness. Mental illness yeah. or any sort of physical, even a physical illness just feels like so otherworldly i'm sure you've also i don't know i'm projecting here but um i experienced when i started talking about it or when people found out what was going on with me after i you know i got to a really dark point um i experienced loneliness that happens when people just can't can't hang they can't handle it yeah i i have a friend uh a friend who passed away a few years ago and uh her her parents have experienced that their friends lifelong friends who just were so horrified they didn't know what to do they they could so they avoided her i think that happens with a divorce people don't know what to do so they just stop talking to you and it happens with physical ailments too yeah it's it's interesting um i feel like when i was sick uh, when i had my stomach chronic stomach disease i um for a long time i wanted to hide it right right because i i I mean i I didn't want it to define me i think was first and foremost and b uh, it it perceived it as a vulnerability as a weakness of something that was wrong which is true but also um i I don't know just like there's so many things about portraying like a, a strong confident exterior well you're also someone and i'm not going off the reservation here and saying anything that needs to be edited out but i think that um lest you be afraid i'm gonna be like you're also someone who hears a big secret about steve yeah but you are also someone who medium-sized dick (laughs) let it out there (laughs) tell everybody sing it from the mountaintops pretty average at sex yeah i would never say that because that is inaccurate yeah but um you are someone who's always been had a very strong outside uh, outward persona. You have always had a very you're you're on sometimes. Like you are somebody who in my life I could point to and say like that guy's charismatic. Like he's got a real personality to him. Mm-hmm. You know, you've never been this sort of milk toast like no, it's Steve, I don't really that's not a memorable person. Like people remember you. Um and you have a presence and a project confidence and so which which may be totally just to do with the fact that you're a trained actor (laughs) but it has you know it may not be at all what's really happening inside but i think especially for someone like you who projects confidence and is always great at talking to people great talking to strangers like very conversant and everything um to display vulnerability would would have to be an enormous thing what's i think it's a huge obstacle to get over because you a, you see yourself in a certain light, and you want to believe that you are capable of all these things. And this, this like you know, uh, rift in your persona, this like kind of chink in your armor, uh, comes up, and you it, you don't know how to deal with that. Um, but beyond that, it's it's I think that's I think that's what makes it hard for for people when um, like when you're talking about like 
uh, driving people away. Like with the divorce, they don't know how to act with it. I think you're doing a hindrance to yourself by acting like everything is okay. Yeah. Because it doesn't normalize it. I think it's better just to be like, yeah, well, it's shitty. And like be able to laugh about it and like, you know, kind of normalize it for other people. Give them the, you know, that it's safe to laugh or whatever. Humor is a fantastic, fantastic way to talk about bad shit that's happened or is happening. Mm -hmm. If you can be self-deprecating about it and just be like, yeah, it fucking sucks definitely wanted to kill myself <laughs> um it, it's it's you know people are like ah. uh, yeah <laughs> but at, i'm laughing out of discomfort they're, yeah they're like i'm laughing out of discomfort they're like no, no, no i'm fine i mean i have a friend h allen scott who's been very open about uh, he's a comedian he's been very open about his his experience with cancer and um sometimes when we'll add a we're at a brunch or something people don't know him we'll start to talk about a story from that time like mm-hmm. when i visited him at chemo or something and something funny happened connected with treatment yeah and um, it'll come up because it was a huge part of his life recently and so but then he has to solve the problem of how to make the other people in the group who don't know him feel better feel okay about so, it. so he'll just go he'll start telling us we'll start talking he'll start telling a story and then he'll go I had cancer I'm fine don't worry about it and yeah. then he'll go back and, and people just laugh because they're uncomfortable but it's also really funny the way he does it and uh and and he's just he's great. He he would be a great guest for this podcast. Great. I gotta say, delightful right. homosexual, one of thirteen children, oh, ex Mormon. Great. Oh yeah, he's so got a lot is, of stories. I, we will use this clip yeah. whenever he comes on as play uh, it. Yeah. To to intro him, but uh, yeah. So you're in Boston. Oh yeah, I'm in Boston, and you're avoiding start, bread and circus right, and star which market. Was, uh, sad because great desserts yeah sure and i start to avoid more and more places because it happens more and more places and um it's going on and on and on it's getting worse and worse and i'm hiding it reasonably well for a while Mm -hmm. and then i get to a place where i don't know if it was because of stuff with a guy i liked or if it was what it was but i got to a place finally where I was just tired. Mm-hmm. You get worn out. Anxiety is tiring. Sure. Depression is tiring too. Depression, you're already tired. You just, like depression, I'm just a sleepy bear when I'm depressed. Yeah, but anxiety is another thing. Anxiety like, that's is an, like doing a workout. Yeah, it's like so much of your body is on overdrive. Your body is aroused, yeah. like not in the fun way. No. <laughs> you're aroused. It's a negative boner. It's a negative boner. And I always say to to college students, not always, depending on the school, but a I lot know, of times. Oh, yes, of course. Because you speak at college. I do speak at like, college. You hang out with a bunch of college kids. Yeah, yeah, I hang out with them all the time. That's a hobby. I forgot. That sounds weird. I'm yeah. 34. But um, I'll say. See, I, I hang out with college, not college kids. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm only making it my day pass. Continue. Well, I, um, I will say to them, okay, how many of you are willing to admit you've had a panic attack you don't have to i know some of you haven't don't want to talk about it how many of you know you've had one and a lot of them will say yes i'm like all right so for the rest of you who haven't how many of you like you've just never experienced it you can't really relate and so then a bunch of hands go up and i go all right here's the best way i can explain it to you yeah other people who've had panic attacks tell me if this is right a panic attack is the exact inverse of an orgasm and then they always get a big laugh and the panic attack kids are like yeah pretty much it's, yeah. i'm like think of like the awesomest feeling you've ever had and just flip it I was like, another yeah. thing is if you're sick, uh, another way that I explain it, at least the nausea component, is like right before you have to puke, but yes. you haven't puked yet, um, it feels like that. That's what I equate. I've never had like a full-blown panic attack, but I've been like, I feel like I've been on the cusp. Oh, sure. Like a couple of times, like when I was starting to go through like, oh, is my marriage ending? That thing. Uh, I would just like feel very worked up and like hyperventilating. And it mm-hmm. felt like right before puking which is 
one of the worst experiences. That's a terrible feeling. And then you puke and you feel relief. But with yes. a panic attack... Doesn't, you don't get that relief. No. I mean, you eventually, if you go through it, you feel drained and tired afterwards. Sure. I usually do. Um, certainly, if you... Much are like able, an orgasm. Yeah, much like an orgasm. I'm like, ah. If you're able to interrupt that fight or flight response... And you're able to do that either through um, through breathing, through visualization, uh, or through medication, through like clonopin or Xanax or something. You can. I mean, with Xanax, I remember I used to take Xanax sometimes um, for it, and uh, and that Xanax was like kind of a fun thing to take, even though sure. it was awful. And I, I would only take it when I had a panic attack. People would yeah, try to yeah, buy I it take for it me. The same reason now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will take if you're carrying. <laughs> no, I've got clonopin though. Right. But, but clonopin for me is just like gradually slowing down. Xanax sure. was like a, a an exciting drop in energy, and I would take it and just be like, ah. Yeah. I was like, this is awesome. This is like my reward for having a panic attack. But <laughs> oh, that's nice. It's the carrot at the end of the terrible story. <laughs> exactly. Because what happens is that, you know, your adrenal glands are, are working into overdrive, right? So you're mm-hmm. like shooting all this adrenaline into your body and you're reacting to an ex- some stimula, stimulus um, and you're reacting as if it is an actual physical threat. So your pupils actually dilate a little bit, sure. which is part of the nausea. And um, you tense, generally your quadriceps tense and your upper arms will tense as well. But but your quads, it's more distinctive, I've noticed in the quads. Um, you get uh, sweaty and you Which is delightful. Which is fun. Much like about to puke. Right, about to puke. Mm-hmm. Sometimes shaky. And you also, what's really interesting is that your body reacting as if it's about to be attacked diverts blood flow from, you know, your sort of non-vital at that point systems to your uh your respiratory system actually oddly enough and and but it does make sense because you need to be able to breathe and you're you're tensed you're basically tensed to fight or to run away sure and yet you are not neither of those things you don't need to do either of those things but you've been faced with an image of your stepdad who molested you or you know you've been faced with an image of an airplane the prospect of getting on a plane and you're terrified of airplanes or whatever it may be it's hard to pinpoint it and what i learned to do rather than say in the moment oh fuck i'm having a panic attack i shouldn't be having a panic attack everybody else can go to class everybody else can get on a plane (sighs) everybody else can go on a date whatever it's just like you put that aside, you have the experience, you deal with it as best you can medically, mentally, emotionally, whatever you do. Later, you go back and you do a post-mortem mm-hmm. and you figure out, okay, what was the trigger there? Cool. Right. How can I handle that differently in future? So that's that's the important thing about like you can't be so much like I just need to avoid star market. Mm-hmm. I need to like look and like what was, what was happening specifically there that kept that induce this thing right the, the lights were really bright and i was tired okay well sometimes when you don't get enough sleep you're more prone to panic attacks sure. you know that about yourself sarah so uh what else was going on well it was really loud and I, I got confused about which brand of peanut butter to buy you have to admit some pretty embarrassing things about yourself to yourself right i was exhausted i had a fight with my mom earlier in the day that was really upsetting i was kind of primed for a panic attack and this Figuring out the stupid peanut butter question set it off, and I had a panic attack. I remember when I uh, when I was when I was first getting sick, and I was just like exhausted, just because it was a tiring experience. Um, I would just like, and I went to see. Oh, finally, like after a bunch of people, like you should see a therapist. You're going through a lot of shit. Go see a therapist. So I started seeing this guy, and uh, I would have these like kind of short little like crying jags, like just watching something mm-hmm. or whatever. And like talking about this, and then he just asked the simplest question to be like, hey, well, next time one of those things happens, 
think about what triggered it. And I just like, it was like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. Like it never even occurred to me because it was just like, oh, this is a thing that's happening as opposed to like looking at like what you're talking about. Like what are the internal factors that like are eliciting this response? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it requires you to admit your weakness mm-hmm. as a human being and your frailty as a human being, which no one wants to do. And certainly when I was in college, I, I didn't want Emerson. I didn't want to do that. I, you know, I, I, um, I just got sadder and sadder because I had more and more panic attacks and I felt more and more embarrassed. Yeah. So I just stopped going places gradually because I just kept having panic attacks. And so that's not a good way to keep up your grades. I remember you had one when I we threw a party at my old 1066 on Commonwealth Ave. Oh, I was just telling somebody about 1066. Oh, we're having fun. Yeah. Uh, but I remember we had it through a party and towards Payment the end of the party. You know Payment? Yeah, of course, yeah. I was I was like, we were talking about Todd, and then you yeah. came up, and yeah. I was like, oh, Steve, you still live in this place. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyway. But we had a party there, and I remember towards the end, it wasn't even a big party, but towards the end of the party, you, like, I remember you sitting on the floor, and me walking by, like, you okay? Did I, I just, did I get out of there, like, real quick? No, I think I you worked through it. And Good you for you, young yeah. Sarah. Yeah, way Good to go, young Sarah. Good for you, young Sarah. You did it. Um, yeah, I, it was, a lot of stuff was going on then, and, and, you know things from you know things from my past things from my sure. childhood shit that i am still grappling and coming to terms with and coming to understand and um i can't point to like i was molested or i was hit in the face by nice? my dad wouldn't that you be convenient but um you know i think <laughs> for a lot of people they're like well what you know you can point to for a lot of people it makes more sense there are people who can understand things like PTSD mm-hmm. in a uh, a veteran of the Iraq War. Um, there are because they can draw from point A to point B sometimes. Okay, like when you were there, what did you experience? And now things that remind you of that experience put you back there. Sure. And you know that that people can sort of connect that sometimes yeah um although of course veterans still suffer from like the ignorance that people have around mental illness and 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 what happens to you know men and women in uniform when they come home and but but some people if you break it down and say okay that guy you know why that guy always has to sit with his back against the wall it's because he always has to scan the area for danger because he did that for two years yeah and deployed outside Kabul. Yeah, so people are like reflex. I, yeah, and people are like I get that and also there's a sort of like honor and dignity associated with that for some people because they go, well that makes sense, you know, he he fought for our country and you know, uh, he brought back these scars and and it's so terrible and you know, people who are smart and not assholes like understand why so many of our homeless are veterans. Like mm-hmm. people who are smart or educated and compassionate understand why we need groups like um, like you know, veterans groups and why we need to fund the VA and shit like that. like that's something I'm very passionate about. So, but then when you go, they go, okay, well, what does this come from? You know, and you can't say like, oh, I was in war, or you can't say, oh, I was, I was, you know, I was abused, or oh, this happened or that. I was in a car accident. Now I'm afraid of cars. Like right. when it's not when you can't, it's not that simple. Not that simple. But you know what I'm saying? No, but it's when there's there's to, a cause and effect. Yeah, when the cause is unknown when it's in when it's this amorphous thing that you don't know how to pinpoint, then it's harder to wrap your mind around. Right. You can't say like, and also there's no, um, there's no honor or dignity or sacrifice associated with saying, oh, well, when I was growing up, like um, my dad always freaked out when we traveled. So I always freak out when we travel. And also that sounds like you're blaming your dad. Sure. Sounds like you're blaming somebody uh, who, you know, in my case, my dad was an, an amazing dad. Um, 
I, I come from a family where my dad had a lot of anxiety that he struggled with. My mom had a lot of depression she struggled with. And I struggled with both. And so they used to say, like, oh, we feel bad because you got you got this from both of us. Right. And they felt guilty, you know. And did I learn it from them or did it? I inherit it in my brain? Right. I don't know. I think it's a combination. Sure. But to acknowledge a genetic predisposition to something learned or actually genetic is not to lay blame i don't think right no i think it's okay yeah and i think that my parents now after many years have gotten to a point where i don't think they feel guilty about it anymore but i think they felt pretty bad when i was you know down and out and well i think it's hard to see your child i mean i I only have a dachshund, but like mm-hmm. it's hard to see like somebody you care about, especially that you feel like you've raised and cared for, uh, going through something hard. And also in the same way that it's easier to blame Star Market. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's sucks to feel like, oh, this is something within me. Uh, it's the same way. It's probably as a parent. Like I I don't did I am, am I responsible for this? That's really hard thing to deal with. And also, I think when something bad happens, something's going on with your kid. Um, you know, I certainly experienced this, like, you know, in my friendship with, with your mom, how she was like a, a mama bear who didn't want bad things to happen to you, but understood that they needed to happen because that's life. You yeah. know, she was a smart, smart, smart woman and deeply compassionate, but she also was protective. Sure. And so to see you suffer in any way, even if she had no control over it and it was nobody's fault, was like tough for her. Because yeah. she was like, you know, there you was part of her that things. wanted to kick some ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But you can't. Even though she didn't want to kick anybody's ass in particular, she just was like, why is something bad happening? There's no ass I am to mad. kick. There's not an enemy that you can really be like, exactly. it was just like, go fuck yourself. Why is this happening? I am mad. Yeah. And, I, and I understand that. And I've seen that, you know, certainly with my own parents as well. And, um... When I was at Emerson and I got I got real bad, I started getting real bad. Like I remember, it was real bad in like by November of that year, and in December it got like really really bad. And so my friend Alex Fox, who's great, sure, um, old friend, old friend, great old friend, came over, sort of busted over her way on over, and and I consented to see her for some reason, and uh, she sort of saw the state that I was living in. She didn't see the full extent of it, which was that I had I had gotten to a place where I was so frightened that I. Uh, um, that um, and this happens to severely agoraphobic people that they no longer want to leave their building or their mm-hmm. house. Yeah. And then even within the house, sometimes for me, Portions I went, it, had right? a studio apartment, <laughs> so I didn't have many choices. But I got very depressed and scared, and so I uh, I stopped really leaving like my bedroom area. Sure. So at that point, I wasn't really washing myself. I wasn't like going brushing my teeth. I still. You know, if I had to shit, which was rare because I wasn't eating that much, um, you know, would poop. But a lot of times if I had to pee, I would just sort of like urinate in a bowl or yeah. something that was close by the bed. And Easier. Then like, but yeah. it's good that you, the turds are making their way. The right. Toilet. The turds made their way. Yeah. I never quite got but to that's shitting also, myself. Well, that's good. That's I, okay. I did that a bunch. <laughs> but not, not on purpose. No, 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 no. Not at all. And so I just, I became very much, um, I, I, I learned at some point along the way that if I didn't eat, I wouldn't have energy. And if I didn't have energy, I wouldn't be awake to have these scary thoughts I was having about, about how I wanted sure. to die and I wanted to kill myself and all this stuff. So it was a way of self-preservation. To yeah. I was, not, I'm not eating. I'm not so eating. I, so so I sleep get all the time Yeah, and things will get better. But when you don't eat enough, you know, uh, people who are, are true sufferers of, of anorexia nervosa 
uh, I think might relate to this. Um, you when you really get down in weight, and I I was not on the verge of dying, but when you really get down in weight, like your brain isn't doing so great. Yeah. You're not thinking clear. I mean, think about when you don't have enough to eat and you know you spend a day at work and you're too busy to eat and you're driving home and you're pissed and you're annoyed and your reaction time is slower so that's happening too at this point in time uh in the year 2001 a banner year for life every yeah all around all around Mm -hmm. great you know we had (laughs) this is fucked up we had friends who were twins who dressed as the twin towers for that halloween they sure did do you remember that yeah but they, they did, but then they wouldn't tell anybody because they, get, they realized, like, we're going to do this, but we can't really tell people because then we're, like, we're so grossly insensitive. So when people ask what they were, like, we're awesome. <laughs> but, like, you have, like, black soot all over you. I was like, you're, the we're in Boston. Yeah. And you're, de- I mean, you have windows drawn on you. No, nah, we're just awesome. <laughs> Genuinely, very nice guys. Now it's hilarious. Sure. Darkly, darkly yeah, darkly hilarious. hilarious. In in keeping with the theme of this podcast. <laughs> uh, oh, they were so cute too. They lived together in like a studio apartment. I'm the not dudes. not sure they didn't like make out with each other. But man, I liked they them. They just called. They were just everybody. What's up, dude? What's up, dude? Dude, how hey, you doing, dude? Hey, dude. Dude, what's happening? What's up? They're the dudes. They lived across the street from me. Yeah. And uh, I was I was always like. How would how do they take girls home? How does that happen? or guy like what happens? They were so magical to me. They were. Um. So uh. So so it's like late two thousand one, and and you know I see my friend you know Alexander who comes in and and it's like what holy shit everything looks gross. Uh. So you know. And are you trying to cover it up? You're like ah it's fine. Come I on was in. like half ass trying to cover it up. I was like oh all right I guess we'll go out to eat and we went out to eat and I didn't eat anything and she was like what. And uh, it was real weird. I remember vague, vague me- bits of memories of, of this restaurant, and I just didn't eat my favorite things. She like all my favorite things were on the menu, and I did not eat those things. Mm-hmm. I didn't order them. I was like, I'll just have water and a napkin. <laughs> you do love napkins. You to be love fair, napkins. Yeah. They're fucking great. So uh, so I go, I I get out of there, and and Alex at some point says, you know, you need to tell your parents, and I'm like yeah I'm not gonna do that and she's like well I'm gonna call your parents if you don't call them and I don't care if they get mad at me I'm just gonna tell them the truth and I was like that's a hard decision for a friend yeah it's I a mean, good friend know, but that's a hard 20, decision 20 21 year old yeah. whatever um and I'm like yeah whatever I don't believe you or what I was just like um that's not gonna happen sure whatever okay and I go to my room and I go back to my place and you know a few hours later the phone rings and it's my mom and dad and they're on like different lines, different sure. extensions, you know, whatever. And this, oh, which is weird. One's in the kitchen, one's sure. in the living room. And they're talking to me and they're trying to draw me out. And I don't realize it because by this point I'm so tired and I'm so out of it that I've forgotten I even told Alex right. that. And what had happened was that Alex went home and called my, my other best friend, Catherine, and they talked about it and were like, what to do? And Catherine knew my parents better because she had come down to South Carolina for a summer with us one time for few weeks or something so she actually called them and, and told them what was going on so i didn't know this for two years oh wow my parents didn't they didn't tell me and my parent my dad finally told me right um so there's a lot of stuff i uh, you know I, I didn't know so went home my mom came and picked me up my mom was finally like what's going on like you're you're not feeling well are you i was like uh i think maybe i have the flu maybe i should just come home for the weekend my parents and my mom came and picked me up she mm-hmm. drove right away and um, 
and uh, I, I had indicated on the phone I think that I was having like dark thoughts and I, I thought that maybe somebody should take me somewhere <laughs> that was like how I put it I think I didn't well, that's, I wasn't very specific that's good though you were, yeah, you were cognizant no, definitely. I was like I think things are I think something's wrong with me and so they <laughs> I haven't shit in a bowl yet yeah, but it might not be that far we're off we're on our way we're there on. was like a bowl of pee next to me they've been yeah. sitting there for maybe 48 hours I was like oh, that's I was time. like yeah something's wrong so my uh, my mom takes me home she drives me home and she she brought me a teddy bear I don't know how she got it very mysterious somewhere on the Mass Pike probably blew a dude and so classic mom she, classic mom and she takes me home and i i made her listen because i was i was a lot of times repetition is really comforting for anxious people mm-hmm. so um i was at the time listening to my favorite band the dave matthews band <laughs> and i was listening which by, by the way thus far in this entire chat right you were with me. that's the most vulnerable thing you admit i know this I is know. this is the most open you could be i know i know every time i get to that part of the story yeah ever mental illness yeah yeah sure 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 oh people, yeah you peed in a bowl yeah we've all been there like, dave matthews no. band get the fuck out of here i used to do this as a one-woman show ants go marching and people are like no what everybody the audience would go oh no that's the first time you've been judged the yeah. audience would be there like like really like into it i mean i i was lucky to have such great audiences this was like i, I developed uh the show between 2009 and like 2012 2013 the, the live show and um you know, people were so like would be so riveted and so sweet and so caring, and I would see them, and some people would cry. And then I'd mention the Dave Matthews Band thing, and just universal look of horror. I would just be like, "Well, I just took you out of my story." Yeah, but sure it's, did. It's but essential. also, go fuck yourself, because at least half this room <laughs> was like real into satellite. Listen, so I would listen. The song I listened to was uh, in the book. I said it was satellite. I mm-hmm. think. I think that's right. I think that's what it really was. Sure, sure. See, again, memory gets like mutable and changeable. And exactly. I'm like, it wasn't Satellite. I know it was a Dave Matthews Band song. Let's say it was Satellite because that's what I said in the show. So it must have been true. And so um, so I made her listen to that on repeat for uh, about four and a half hours. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would take some breaks, you know, but then I we'd mean, back on. Mom. Yeah. That's... That's she's mom. she's owned, she's earned yeah. mom of the year right there right exactly perhaps mom of the decade we stopped at a restroom and I was like I was thinking at some point I was like can I is there a way I can creatively like like how can I kill myself in this restroom right now uh, and you know I don't know what I would have how I would have done that but couldn't really put it together in my mind so I just yeah. went back in the car and listened to more that's I want at certain points I had my jacket over my head so I couldn't see things I wonder if your by. mom was thinking the same thing after listening to it like three hours straight though <laughs> no can I think I she just... was thinking how can I kill this kid yeah. <laughs> at this yeah, point this bathroom is fine probably, <laughs> I wouldn't be the first person to die in this bathroom I will murder my child yeah. if I have to listen to Dave Matthews band again so we got home at some point we may have like switched it out with some of her Phil Collins or Billy Joel sure but storytelling I'm, but really <laughs> yeah, let's talk about let's talk about Jersey. And yeah, let's just get into sad it. Stuff. And so it, you know, it was a lot of Dave DMB. Yeah. And uh, so we got back to the house, and I remember getting. I do remember pretty clearly getting out of the car and standing there, and how it was cold outside, and it was it was like dawn by the time we got back. I think. Um, so I was home. For a little while, I was home early from Emerson for the semester, and I did some counseling and therapy and, and some meds and shit. And I tried to go back, and it did not take. It was there for about two weeks, and yeah. then I was like, mm, "Peace out, Kath." I, I was having you, a I remember you came again. back, and you had a great apartment. 
It was a dope apartment. I had a sick apartment in Emerson. Yeah. It was like right on uh, Boylston. No, where was it? It was right on... Yeah, it was right on the Boston Common. It was right. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was was so expensive. It was gorgeous. Um, Walk-in closet. That place was sick. And there was a pool, but it, it was outdoor pool, but still that would have been crazy for the summer. So I was there. I had this sick apartment. It was amazing. I had all this nice stuff. It was, I think my parents and I made a mistake, uh, uh, which was that if everything looked okay, everything would be sure. okay. And that's not what happened. Well, you try to, you secure yourself. If everything, like everything, all the elements are in line, everything should add up, oh, right? Great <clears throat> towels, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. it was fun. I had girls over for a party. It was fun. Like I had a good time. And, um, but I was miserable. And then we, I went with Catherine to see a, a Mandy Moore film, uh, called a walk to remember. Yeah, and you're I not had doing a, things to really help yourself out. Oh no. Big yeah. panic attack in there and had to leave. And after that, I was like, I don't think I can do this. Like I'm losing my shit. You know, yeah. I, I went into class. I had a couple, I'd gone to like the first or second day of class and just was like, I can't, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I had, I Catherine told me I don't remember but I told Catherine I was doing something destructive I don't know if I was gonna cut myself or what I was gonna do uh, I wasn't like a, a cutter mm-hmm. um, so that was weird but so I don't I don't know what I was doing she remembers but it like makes her really sad to think about it um, so I don't bring it up that much but that's fair I don't remember what it was exactly but it was something I was doing something bad and so she uh, she called my mom again, and then my mom was my parents were like, "Fuck it, like we're taking yeah. you out of school." We tried, we tried, and Let's... so they came up and you know took me, got, brought me home, and I think the guy who owned the apartment like sued them for breaking a lease, and it was like a whole fucking thing, which they didn't actually tell me about also until years later because they didn't want to like stress me out. There was yeah. a lot going on there behind the scenes. What that was I didn't the soundtrack on the ride home from there? Oh, I don't think we had one. Well, <laughs> I think, think at that point I was like, "Mom, you take this. Yeah. I got this." So, um, so I got home, and that's when I really went into some in-depth therapy, really adjusted the medication correctly, and was home for a while. And um, you know, I had I, I I learned a lot about myself during that time, and I wanted to write about it. And I wanted to write my book, Agora Fabulous. I wanted to write that when I was 21, 22, right. but that was not the time to write it. I no, 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 need some distance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so so life went on, and I, I got I got help, and eventually, I mean, I remember one time. Um, I remember, it was, I mean, I was it was so bad, and I was so scared, and I remember I, I was just staying in my parents' house and not going out, and I was just eating. The way I started eating again was I wanted things that tasted like that felt like baby food so smoothies i started making smoothies a lot and that's how i started because i couldn't do a lot of solid food Mm -hmm. at that point um but i do remember we were walking i remember one time we decided to i was i was getting good at going to the end of my driveway like walking in my driveway and i remember one time them both like i want you know my mom held my one hand my dad held the other and i remember them walking me to the end of the driveway and then like we walked around the block and that was a big deal yeah and once the medication kicked in, I was able to, the right dose, I was able to progress pretty quickly from that to walking around the block by myself, to walking a mile by myself, to being in the car again, to eventually driving a car, right. to getting a job, all that stuff. Once the right meds kicked in, I, my life accelerated back to some semblance of normal. Right. Um, 
But it was crazy. I also gave myself a really intense haircut at that point in time. Well, that's somewhat cathartic, though. Chopped off all my hair, which is a typical girl thing to do. I know every time I got really sick, I would do something kind of drastic. Like when I had this operation to have my colon removed, I, the day before, I went into Rudy's Barbershop, and I was like, I excited Mohawk when I was mm-hmm. 21 years old. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going through some stuff. I want that again. <laughs> I want an excuse. And I went in, and this fucking asshole, I was like, give me a Mohawk. And he's like, you don't want a Mohawk. <laughs> and I was like, no, I, I'm going through, I want a Mohawk. And he's like, you don't, I'll tell you what. We'll start off slow. So I ended up because <laughs> he kept mohawk? he kept yeah he kept on like saying like you don't want a mohawk, <laughs> and then so I ended up with like the worst. I looked like the biggest twelve year old prepubescent Mexican I don't fan. Were there were there like images online? No, I did. Yeah, because I, mean, I, I, like, I never saw that face, and I was in the hospital. There was, I was not taking a ton of pictures of myself at the time, but it was right, awful. Right. It was hands down the worst haircut I've ever had because it was like not. A, it was like too short. It was just ridiculous. Was that the time that I sent you the the colon that was knitted by the guy yes. from Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah. And that was so weird because I didn't even realize she was from. I don't think I even figured out that she was from Pittsburgh until after I like ordered it, and then I was like, "This is going to somebody from Pittsburgh," and she was super stoked. Yeah, about I already it. told me the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how you, when you feel like you're going through something, you're like, well, fuck it. Let's do other things. Like, I'm feeling so crazy on the inside. Let's have my external appearance somewhat mirror that. And I think that's why a lot of women cut their hair when they go through a breakup. Sure. Um, that's like a pretty typical, It's also kind of cleansing, acceptable. right? Yeah, it's like a socially acceptable thing. And, um, But also, I think that's why some people cut themselves to distract themselves. I mean, that's, uh, when I was, when I did that, I was warming up. I think I was experimenting. I was sort of, it was more like I was warming up to see if that would be how I killed myself. I was sort of like, maybe this is the way I'll do it. Um, but for a lot sure, of times. Sure, that's nice to know that you're like, you're training. Yeah, I'm going to warn up. Like, this feels, I don't know. This you can't is go, you can't One go. One time a whole I did hug. it with a butter knife, oh, <laughs> which boy. is so. Also, this sounds like that's the, worse. It's so embarrassing. And that that is the thing I put in my book, in my first book. I was like, Okay, this is the most embarrassing thing I'm going to tell you. I know you think this is... You already, you already told about I like came out of it. I'm like, I told you about Dave Matthews. I told you about all this shit. This is actually... I've never told anyone this. And I hadn't even like told a therapist, but I put it in the book. I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know... It, <laughs> I cut myself with a spork. I was so... Like, what kind of half-ass shit is that? So, you know, my life has certainly gone on since then. And, and, and it has not been all smooth sailing. I mean, I've had... Excuse me, a couple more times that were really tough. Um, once when I was 23, when I, I had gone to a new school, which I love, Warren Wilson College, and uh, I love Emerson too. I mean, they both have been great for me. Um, and I get to go to both of them as an alumni, alum, and like talk to the kids, sure. which is really funny. to be. And when I went to Emerson last year, I was like, do I, should I tell them that I dropped out? And they were like, no. yeah, they, they, they legit were like, who cares? Yeah. You went you here, came you here. count. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I was like, okay, so stay in school, kids. But um, I, you know, I had a time and when I was twenty three, which was really tough at Warren Wilson College, and that was a, a bump, a bump in the road. And I went to the emergency room because uh, I was just, I was like, I know what to do this time. I'm having the same thoughts, and I thought, oh no, it was real you bad. Had the skills though. I was like, I know what to do, so I called my RA, my friend Erica, who just had a baby Lucian, and I called her up, and I was like, I, I keep having all these thoughts about killing myself. 
and I was an RA too, P.S. And so she, she was my RD actually. And I was like, so I think, so I'm supposed to tell somebody that's what it says in the, uh, you know, what's what we tell the kids. So that's what I'm telling you. And she was like, all right, cool. She's, she went on to get two master's degrees in social work, was not phased one bit. It's like four in the morning. She's like, do you think we should go to the hospital? And I was like, yeah, let's just go just to get me an eval. And she was like, okay, cool. So it was like, I had this. The most chill. The like- most chill. Like I, like I might kill myself. You know, I had... At this point, I think the we have when you're anxious, you have the um, the kind of the I don't know the untrained child, the unhinged voice, the crazy mm-hmm. voice. Let's say to use sure. a derogatory term sure. that I like using, mm-hmm. you got the crazy voice and you got the the healthy voice. And and what medication ideally does is it turns down the volume on the crazy voice, but you never quite lose it. And it turns up the volume on the grown-up voice. Right. So crazy voice was like going wild in my head, but I had worked so hard for the past couple of years to strengthen that smart, caretaking adult voice within me that it was very much an experience of like, cool, all right, this is happening. I know what I need to do. I'm going to just nip this in the bud. So I had a lovely experience at the hospital. See? You know, it was great. That gives you the tools. I had really nice, really, really nice like nurses and social worker and doctor and they were great. And they ultimately didn't didn't admit me. They were like, look, you don't need to be in a we have eight beds in our in our unit for mental health. You don't need to be in one. What you right. need to do is go home to your parents and your family and your shrink back home and take your medication. Can you do that? And I was like, as soon as I, honestly, as soon as I hit that ER, I felt better. And I was like, let me let me see this through. Yeah. You know? Well, because that just demonstrated that you were capable of doing the right things for yourself. Yeah, I was like, oh, You've cool. Already, that's already like such an evolution, such a so much progress from it was, two years previous. I was sort of re. I was I was getting to like I think sometimes we we reenact what was in right. order to do it better, and we do that in relationships. We do that in a lot of ways. But I so I had I mean the fucking emergency room in Asheville, North Carolina, at Mission St. Joe's, had rocking chairs. Like this is how folksy and adorable. That's, well, that's it was. also how chill your experience was. Like, you want to go to the hospital? Yeah, I'd probably go to the hospital. I was like, yeah, this is pretty. Let's go sweet. sit in a rocking chair. Yeah, we. I think we. And then I, you know, I went home to my parents and came. I left that semester early, but I came back again. And the only other time that's been really bad, knock on wood, was when I was finishing my book. That was yeah, really hard. I'm sure. That that's really, like closure to this yeah. whole chapter in in some regard. Yeah, that was tough. Um, I went. I went home from. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't. In, I was just depressed, though mm-hmm. I wasn't suicidal. That's interesting. The way you like started this whole chat off with with saying that uh, you owe probably a large amount of your career to you wanting to commit suicide in, yeah. when you're 21 years old. I wonder how big or small that list is. I, I assume it's relatively small, but there's probably a fair amount of people who were like, yep, this was a catalyst for me, and now I'm doing great. Yeah, I was, Which is, it was great. It's it was a rock great bottom, but... to have that, that nervous breakdown because it... Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it it did a lot of things. I mean, it shows you who your real friends are, for sure. sure. Um, people who will still talk to you and engage with you after that or who are curious about how you're doing. Like, that's very important. Um, it also taught me that I was stronger than I thought. And it made me less afraid of shit because yeah. I was like, you know, when I would w- I'd wake up, I had a tough job when I was about 24. I was a school teacher and, and 24, 25. And... I would wake up and I'd be like, oh, God, this is so hard. And then I'd think, oh, but I don't want to kill myself. This yeah. is pretty rad. That's, I think that's the, the, the biggest thing that I garnered from all of, all of my experiences were just that, the perspective. Mm-hmm. 
I was all hyped up today because I was, you know, in a meeting trying to convince some folks that I, I should get to write a film. And... NBD. Put a, no, NBD. Uh, you know, put in, you know, a long time, a lot of effort and really went in there with the guns blazing and did my thing. And I thought for a second, like, what happens if this doesn't work and they don't want me to write this film? And then I thought, holy shit, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, you've been in place... You've been in a place where you were pissing in receptacles next to your bed and all you could think about when you were awake was how much you wanted to fucking kill yourself yeah like so what look how far you've come look how far you've come like that disappointment like you can handle that yeah like you can handle it if this essentially job interview doesn't go the way you would like it to go not to marginalize it'll be a bummer sure but you'll be fine and it'll be a bummer and i'll deal with the feelings yeah i'll sit with them i'll let myself have a day or two that suck and then I'll move on with my life. And then invariably, as you've done, you'll find a way to laugh at it. Yeah. And that's that's um, that's so healing. You know, I think that your this concept for this whole podcast is so great. Agreed. I think everybody who, everybody who does, everyone should listen to it and tell mm-hmm. their friends about yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I know I haven't been, I guess I haven't been cracking that many jokes, but like it's been good to talk about there it. Ha- there, ha- there haven't been a ton in all the ones we've done, <laughs> but it's always been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always yeah. been enlightening. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really, uh, you know, I when I started doing stand-up um, years ago, so I, I discovered this really amazing thing, which was that it, I cared if I bombed. Sure. But I wasn't afraid of it. Right. Because who cares if I, if I didn't do well in front of folks at the Chuckle Hut? Like, ah, oh, oh, that sucks. I'm going to feel bad about it. My jokes didn't land. I feel, yeah. ah. But like, do I want to kill myself? No. Oh, sweet. Okay, cool. I'm going to go eat chicken fingers. If that's if that's the baseline, you're always going to be doing a little bit better. Oh, sure. And yeah. I hate that feel. I hate bombing. Oh, I hate bombing. Everybody nobody, nobody hates bombing. Likes nobody likes doing it. Well. Yeah. Nobody likes it. But some people some people have this fuck you attitude where they're like, fuck it, I'm just going to turn it around on the crowd and have a good time while I'm up here. And, and they have this like vengeful warrior thing. I just sort of, cl- I'm like, ugh. So I, I, you know, but it was so um, good. And, you know, anytime I got, when I get like, on the rare occasion I get an audition for something or mm-hmm. something like that I'm like oh this is so cool this is like this is so you know I'm just like this is all. I think it's been to my hindrance sometimes because I'm just like who cares if this doesn't work this is fun so then I didn't put in enough effort right but and now I think I'm, I've come to a place where I get it but um yeah I mean it 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 made my life better eventually i mean yeah. in the long run it made my life better that i i have this and I, it still comes up sometimes you know those feelings those thoughts those emotions come up sometimes but now i i i go to my shrink right away or i yeah. go to somebody right away and tell them and then i just i deal with it right away yeah sometimes it's a bummer to realize that all of these cliche adages are there's merit to a lot of them like They're pretty generally accurate. speaking the things that do not kill you they tend to make you a tiny bit stronger. Yeah, they do. I had a thing the other week where some like douchebag I used to fuck went off about me on his radio program, which uh-huh. was very embarrassing. Sure. And somebody sent me the audio, which was a very dumb thing for me to listen to because... It's hard to stop yourself, though. It's hard to stop yourself when somebody's like, hey, look at this article about you or look at this thing. And you're like, oh, fuck. So I uh, I listened to it and I was like, oh, my God. Well, I guess I have a magical pussy because this guy still cares <laughs> five years later. Um, but it made me feel bad. I was embarrassed. He said some mean things, and I felt real embarrassed about it. 
And I, I let myself feel shitty about it for a couple days. I wouldn't have done that when I was 21. I would have been like, fuck him, whatever. And just, and, and just like become some sort of, been a monster. But this time I just was like, I'm going to let myself feel bad and embarrassed mm-hmm. and shitty. I'm going to feel these feelings. I'm going to cry. I'm going to like let shit out. And, uh, you know, then I came out of it and moved on. Yeah, because really you should, if for no other reason, as you said, you have a magical pussy and that's just worth its weight in gold. It is magical. There's a lot of stuff going on in there that's very, very precious. Yeah, of course, turning, you know, sand to pearls and things of that nature. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Well, thank you so much for actually sitting down and chatting with me. Thank you, Steve Baslon. This has been delightful. Yeah, maybe we'll like link to like satellite on the iTunes or something. That would be so fun. Wouldn't that be great? On repeat. I mean, you better... A little form of torture. You better, like, pay him for that, though. Oh, because sure. Because Dave Matthews deserves that DMV, money. he deserves everything. He owns a vineyard. Oh, good for him. Yeah. I think that's a good place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, lady. <laughs> That was exciting. Uh, special thanks to Miss Sarah Benincasa for sitting down and chatting with us. What a delight. Uh, you Go read all of her books, because they're all really good. Turns out, she's good at writing. Uh, you can follow her, see what she's up to more on Twitter at Sarah J. Benincasa. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Terribly underscore funny. If you want to email us, you know, just say, hey, what's up? You up, dog? What are you wearing? You can find, uh, you can even do all that at terriblyfunnypodcast at gmail. And otherwise, you know, stick around. We're going to have more of these in the future. Man, we're going to laugh. We're going to cry. Uh, we're going to get you through some shitty traffic. Uh, thanks so much to Brendan McFadden, to Kin- Kingdom Flying Club for the tunes, and to Julia Pot for doing some uh, bitchin' art to go on our, on our iTunes page. That's it, guys. Have a great day.